0: Let's open our Bibles to the book of Jude. If you have a prayer slip or a visitor slip, if you pass that to the aisle, we'd love to pick them up and we'll pray for you this week. The book of Jude, verses 24 and 25, a doxology, and I think it's a great one that I pray that you will treasure in your heart. When I was in college, um, I played baseball, and usually we were around the track people. You know how they are running track. And there was a a guy on the track team who really loved to kind of try to rattle my chain. And so he came up to me one day and he said, hey, law, can God make a rock so big that he cannot move it? You know, I'm a new believer. It's the first time I ever heard that. And so I said, I'm going to get back to you on that one. (laughs) So being the first time I heard that, I thought I was impaled on the horns of a dilemma If I answered yes, then I would be, in effect, be saying that there is something God cannot do, which I would never want to say. He cannot move the rock, namely. If I answered no, then I would be saying that God cannot build such a rock. Either way, I answered, I felt forced to place some limits on the God who's all-powerful. So later I learned that the dilemma that he posed was really a false dilemma It's false because it's really built on a false premise. It assumes that omnipotence, which the Bible speaks clearly about God, that he is omnipotent, it means that God can do anything. Yet, as a theological term, omnipotence does not mean that God can do anything. The Bible indicates several things that God cannot do. He cannot lie, Uh, he cannot die, he cannot be eternal and at the same time be created. He cannot act against his nature. So omnipotence does does mean is that God holds all power over his creation. No part of his creation stands outside the scope of his sovereign control. Therefore there is a correct answer to my friend and I do count him a friend the, the dilemma he posed. The answer is no. God cannot build a rock so big that he could not move it. Why, you ask? Well, if God ever built such a rock, he would be creating something over which he had no power. And so he would be destroying his own omnipotence. Can God, God cannot stop being God. He cannot not be omnipotent. And we're so glad of that truth. So why that little brain teaser Well, we're talking about the God who's able to keep you from stumbling. And understanding that he's all-powerful to keep you from stumbling is a great comfort to build your life upon. When we look at our life, when we look at the dangers and the contingencies of this life, knowing that there's a God who's omnipotent, who's all-powerful and has pledged through his son Jesus Christ to watch over every detail of my life is one of the great comforts we could ever know for our soul. God's sovereignty is a great source of peace. We see it all through the Bible. We know that the same power God displayed in creating the universe is at his disposal to assure our salvation's destiny. He, sh- he showed uh, his power in the exodus. He displayed power over, over death in the resurrection of Christ. We know that no part of creation can frustrate his plans for the future. That there's not some maverick molecule, as R.C. Sproul once said, loose in the universe that could possibly disrupt his plans. I'm reminded of the little, gir- the little girl who offered prayers and, and she said, dear God, please take care of mom and dad and my brothers and sisters and me. And please, God, take good care of yourself because if anything happens to you, we're sunk. And that is the truth, isn't it? From start to finish. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he's almighty. He sits in the heavens, the psalmist says, and he does whatever he pleases. No one can resist his will. Think with me for a moment of much of the message of the Bible. In fact, it's shot through all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. I'll mention a few. There was the prophet Jeremiah who said, "Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Nothing is too difficult for you. And we find other statements. Job discovered at the end of his sufferings, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours will be thwarted. In the days of Abraham, Sarah, at the prospect of giving birth, as she stared her 90th birthday in the face, said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was in a similar situation, and she said, for nothing will be impossible with God. And concerning salvation, there was that exchange Jesus had with the rich young ruler, And Jesus put his finger on that young man's sin, who was very self righteous, who actually claimed to have kept all the commandments of God from his youth up. And Jesus said, Well, sell all that you have and come follow me. And the scripture says, He went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. And really, what we need to understand in that exchange is that Jesus really, really put his finger on the man's sin. He loved his money. And that's why Jesus would say in in an aftermath with the disciples that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, certainly he's not talking about uh, someone who has possessions or wealth. He's talking about somebody who's trusting in them. And it's impossible if you're trusting in wealth or any other thing in this world for you to know God's salvation. And that's why the disciples said, well, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? And Jesus said to them, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That means you and I can't pull off our salvation on our own strength or efforts. We need God's grace. Our God is great and awesome. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is too difficult for him. Not old age, not a congenital disease, not family problems, not a loveless, troubled marriage, not financial downfalls, not racial tension, not demonic forces, not wicked governments, not sinful choices. Nothing is too difficult for him. So one of the great assurances you can know today, believer in Jesus Christ, is that God's got his hand upon you, and he will keep you from stumbling. Our attention this month has been in the book of Jude, and we've, saw, we've seen some incredible warnings. We're reminded in these verses that Christianity really is not a series of made-up ideas or free-floating thoughts. It's faith in a person. Not just any person, but God, our Savior, our, our great God became our Savior through His Son, Jesus Christ. And to this God alone, we live and move and have our being. So I want to look at this closing statement given by Jude. And the first thing I would like to notice is the blessed bookends. The blessed bookends for the believer. And I want you to notice verses 1 through 3 and verses 24 and 25. They kind of showcase this message, warning against false teachers, calling us to contend earnestly for the faith. He begins with that with great opening to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. This written by Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We are called in, in God's grace. We are loved by this great God, and we are kept Uh, By Jesus Christ. Kept from what? Pick something. Pick some adversary, some danger to your soul. You know, sometimes I think the mindset in the church with regard to salvation is I could have pulled that off, I could have made it happen, I could keep myself in the grace of God. And the more I search the Scripture, the more I know that's not true. What keeps you and I from going AWOL? It's the grace of God that saved us, that's keeping us, and will deliver us before the throne of grace. Please be totally unimpressed with your ability to hold yourself together spiritually. Have a healthy distrust in your own heart. One of the worst pieces of counsel you could ever give is, hey, just just trust your heart. That's awful advice. We're prone to wander. We're prone to do what we want to do. We need a Savior who is guiding and helping and speaking. And the reasons we gather on Sunday is that this is one of the means of grace that God has given to us to keep us from flying off of some tangent Spiritually. He says in verse 3, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. So not only do we have to deal with the own sinful inclinations of our heart, but we, have, we live in a world that's full of lies, deceptions, where false teachers seem to get a pass. And so Jude is saying to believers then and now, we need to contend, we need to earnestly challenge and stand for the truth. Once for all, delivered to the saints. There's a contending, there's an action. Yes, it's wonderful to, to, and needful for us to remember God's love, God's call, God's love, God's keeping us. But there's a contending, there's action to the Christian life. We're not called to just sit on our hands. The grace of God that saved us also motivates us. We've got to serve the Lord, we've got to live for Him. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1, make your calling and election sure. How do I do that? By by a surrendered life, as Martin pointed us to Romans 12 this morning, we're presenting ourselves to God as living sacrifices. And that we're not to follow our own sinful hearts, but we're to yield ourselves to Christ. The Life Application Study Bible, which I benefit from, even today some Christians minimize sin believing that how they live their how they live has little to do with their faith. But what a person truly believes will be revealed by how he or she acts. Those who truly have faith will show it by their deep respect for God and their sincere desire to live according to the principles of his word. Twisting God's grace to allow for Flagrant sexual sin is a horrible perversion of the gospel, or any other sin for that matter. For doing this, the false teachers in Jude's day and in ours and their followers will pay dearly where to contend because judgment comes. And Jude makes that case all the way through the book by, by listing one Old Testament example after another of those who fell away from the living God. So that's the front bookend. Now look at the back end, verses 24 and 25. To him who's able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless. He is a God who, called, who has called us out of darkness. At the top of Jude's list of warnings was to remember from, where, from which you've been called. And he lists a number of, of dangers to your soul, namely false teachings, In fact, he mentions over 30 characteristics of false teachers in this one chapter book. 25 verses. And he provides a composite of what an apostate looks like. This is what we're to flee. This is what we're to run from. And all through the New Testament, Jesus warned about false teaching. So deceptive would it be that he says in Matthew 24 that even the elect could be deceived if the time was not cut short. This profile of an apostate, false teacher, should be tucked away in our hearts. And I would ask you, what doctrinal line do you have in your mind and heart that you're not going to cross over? I pray that it would be everything presented in Scripture that is essential. There are some items that earnest and honest and sincere believers disagree upon, we understand there's a place for that. There can be disagreement, yet with charity and respect. I'm talking about what it means to be faithful to Christ, what it means to be a Christian. Do you have lines in your mind that I can't cross that and still be faithful to Jesus Christ? You know, it's, there's been a lot of... Um, a lot of challenges lately concerning convictions that Christians have. Should I go to an LGBTQ plus wedding or not? I mean, that's a that's a major discussion point. And what I would urge you to think through now, in the sane temperature of this moment, is I need to make those kind of decisions based upon principle, not emotion. And I need to say to a loved one who's asking me to do something that contradicts clearly what God's word has said, namely that there's no such thing as a wedding without a man and a woman. Amen. So I'm not into, you know, legal fiction. And to be able to say in a same moment, I love you with all of my heart, but I cannot do that. And you'll see that I love you even after this event comes and goes. You'll see that I love you because I'm going to be in your life. And I'm, I'm going to show the kindness and love of the Lord. But that I cannot do and represent my Savior faithfully. And there are many other things. What line do you have in your mind where I can't go past this? I pray that it would be every doctor, uh, uh, a doctrinal um, Uh, bulwark uh, that, that is set forth in Scripture, that you would know the Word of God, you would know doctrine and contend for it. So, you know, in this bookend, how are we kept? How does the Lord keep us? By knowing what He has given to us and contending for it. But not only that. There are things you and I must do. If you have in your mind that being a Christian is coming and attending an event once a week, and then I might come back next week, that's not Christianity. He, he says there are things that we must do in this race called the Christian life. And he talks about building up your faith in verse 20. He talks about living a life of prayer in the last part of verse 20. Verse 20. He talks about giving yourself, uh, keeping yourself in the love of God where you're reminding yourself of God's promises. He, he talks about waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life in verse 21. He, he talks about ministering to one another, especially those who are struggling and to show mercy and hate even the, uh, the impact of sin on on our lives. So there's reason to praise God. The reason that we are kept from stumbling is because God has given to us means of grace by which to live. Now, notice with me secondly, as we continue on in this doxology. Now to him who's able. I love that phrase. We have a devotion book in our home called Daily Light. I don't know if you have it. Maybe we've given you a copy through the years. We've given lots of copies of Daily Light. And I, some, some day in March, I think, think, I think it's the 6th of March, there's a devotion called He's Able. And it just holds up these verses from the New Testament. Beginning in the book of Jude, now, now to him who's able to what? Keep you from stumbling. To keep you from being stumbled by false teachers and lies. In Romans 16, now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's able to do that. Ephesians three twenty, he's able to do far more than we could ask or think. Pray. He's able to do more than you can even imagine. In 2 Timothy 1, 12, he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. In Hebrews 7.25, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And here in Jude, he's able to keep you from some. He's able to do a lot. I'm wondering if I'm talking to someone this morning where you've, you've tried everything that you can imagine to resolve a problem, a struggle of your heart, a setback in your life, You've done everything but talk to the one who's able. (laughs) You know, we're invited to come to the throne of grace boldly as believers in Jesus Christ. One of the things his death on the cross did was it paved a way for us to have access to God. And we're called to come boldly, but we don't come boldly. Sometimes we don't even come at all. What a birthright we've been given, and we don't utilize it. Would you talk this morning right now in the quietness of your heart? Lord, I've been carrying this around for so long. I need to talk to the one who's able, who's able to do something. Lord, I need you to move in my life. I need you to move in my kids. I need for you to move in my vocation, and my job. I need your help in my marriage. I want to live my life for your glory God is sovereign over the dangers we face and we're all susceptible to to temptations. He says, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. In James chapter three, it says, for we all stumble in many ways, don't we? Who here doesn't stumble? Who here doesn't stub their toe? God's able to keep us from making a mess of it all, and free falling into leaving him. This is eternal security. This is God's grace that helps us to persevere. This is what helps us to say with the Apostle Peter, where else can we go? I have the words of eternal life. And maybe you're saying, you know, you're talking about this eternal security where someone who's truly born again, who's foreknown, predestined, called, justified, can never be lost because they're going to be glorified. A couple things that doesn't mean is one thing it doesn't mean is it doesn't matter how you live. Another thing it doesn't mean is that in this world, there are imposters. There are those who think they have something, but they don't. And so maybe you know someone who once sang in the choir or went out on a mission trip or served a Sunday school class and you look around and they're not around anymore. In fact, if you talk about the Christian life, they're, they're not interested in talking about the things of God. Once they had assembled with the people of God, but no more. What about them? Were they, really, were they saved and then lost? No, they were never truly converted. What do you base that on? On, on a lot of things. One would be 1 John 2.19. That they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they would have been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might really show what was in their heart. Namely, that they didn't know God. So it's possible to experience religious things and not know the Lord. He's able to keep us from stumbling. He's able to keep us from defection to the end. What a comfort that is for the people of God. I don't care what you've done, what you've become. He's with you, believer. I was reminded of this. Um, I'm reading a two-part biography. I'm hoping to finish this year on Martin Lloyd-Jones. And there was an episode from Martin Lloyd-Jones' life and ministry. He pastored in London for thirty over 30 years and was a great man of God And he he shares this episode in one of his sermons. This is something that actually happened during a prayer, not a sermon, he wrote. I knew a poor man who had been converted from a terrible life of sin and who had become a fine Christian. That was when I was in South Wales, where he was before he pastored in London. But afterwards, unfortunately, for various reasons, this poor fellow had become a backslider and had fallen very deeply into sin. He had run away from his wife and children to live with another woman of a very poor type, and they came to London, and and there they lived in their sin. And he had squandered his money, and he had actually gone home and told his wife a lie in order to get further money out of her. The house in which they lived was in their joint names, but he had got th- this change to put into his name. Then he sold it in order to get the money. he had thus gone very far far into the far country he had sinned terribly but now the money had finished and the woman had deserted him that's usually the way that works he was so utterly miserable and ashamed that he had solemnly decided to commit suicide feeling that in his deep state of repentance god god would forgive him but he could not forgive himself And he felt that he had no right ever to approach his family again. so he solemnly decided to walk into the Westminster Bridge in London and throw himself into the Thames River. He was actually on the way to do this just as the poor soul arrived at the bridge, Big Ben struck 6.30 p.m. And suddenly a thought flashed into his mind and he said to himself, he, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, We'll be entering the pulpit right now for the evening service. So he decided that he would come and listen to me once more before ending his life. He made his way into Westminster Chapel in about six minutes, got in through the front door, walked up the stairs, and was just entering the gallery when he heard these words in prayer from the pulpit, God have mercy upon the backslider. Lloyd Jones uttered that petition in his prayer, and they were literally the first words that that man heard. Everything was put right immediately, and he was not only restored, but served in a church in a suburb of London and rendered excellent service for a number of years. What does it mean? It means that we're in the hands of God, and therefore anything can happen with God. Nothing is impossible. Nothing. He's able to keep you from stumbling over the lies of a false teacher or from jumping off the Westminster Bridge. Notice what else he says. Blameless before the throne of God. To present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Our God has pledged to keep us, to hold us, to present us to his throne blameless. I love the way that's translated. It speaks of righteously, to be presented righteously, blameless, guiltless, unblemished, untarnished. Tom Schreiner says that on the day of the Lord, believers will be without fault. How can that be when we look at our life and our resume is so soiled? Do you hear what this is saying? That we have a savior through his righteousness, through his blood, by faith in him, we are declared righteous and we will be presented before the throne blameless. Flawless. How can that be? (laughs) Know this, it's not because of what a peach you are. No, it's because he... He is our all in all. He is righteous. He is blameless. He is sufficient. He is perfect. And his righteousness is credited to us so that when God sees a sinner trusting in his son, he does not see our transgressions. They've been buried in the depths of the sea, never to be remembered against us again. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Lord will make his own who have not abandoned him blameless on that last day. God will complete his saving work on that day. So don't lose heart, fellow sinner redeemed by the grace of God. He who has begun a good work and you will continue that work until the day of Jesus Christ. Several years ago, Mercy Me had a song, maybe you're familiar with it, called Flawless. I thought of this blameless, unblemished. And in the song, there's a point of despair. It's too late. It's too late, the lyrics say. Well, let me introduce you to amazing grace. No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is the cross, the cross has made you flawless, No matter the hurt or how deep the wound is, no matter the pain, still the truth is the cross has made you flawless. Could it possibly be that we simply can't believe that this unconditional kind of love would be enough to take a filthy wretch like this and wrap him up in righteousness? But that's exactly what he did. That's amazing. So when God looks at you now, believer, he does not hold your transgressions against you. Your status has been changed forever, but not only that, you will be presented before his throne blameless, without blemish because of Christ. And not only that, it won't be a sad story. I think so many, you've heard me rail on this before. So many images of heaven people ought to just keep to themselves. When you you look at the, the biblical picture of what heaven is, it's great joy. Great joy. There's an obscure verse that I've been reminded of a lot in recent years. Zephaniah 3.17. When's the last time you read Zephaniah. Maybe this week you'll read Zephaniah and you'll come to verse 17 of chapter 3. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That means he's happy about you, believer, believer. Notice with me, fourthly, our great God is wor- worthy of our highest praise. Our great God is worthy of our highest praise. Notice, we tend to run over verses like verse 25 when we hear, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You know, it's like some Gregorian chant that we just want to get through real fast. But I'm not going to let us do that this morning. That doesn't mean I'm going to keep you past lunch. But I do want to take a minute to hold this up. Notice how God is described here the only God, our Savior. Of all the things you could say about God, He's a saving God. And He qualifies that through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is a God who is a Savior. What's a Savior? I remember being a child and hearing that term in Sunday school. Thinking, what does that mean to be a savior? It means I'm lost and I need somebody to rescue me. And He's the only one who can do that. He's the only one who can rescue us from the vestiges of sin. And Paul's letter to the to to Timothy and Titus five times in the pastoral letters he says, "God our Savior, God our Savior, God our Savior, God our Savior, God our Savior." God is not only creator, upholder, king and judge but he's 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 our only savior. He's the only savior there is. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. His saving character is manifested through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the savior of all men. 1 Timothy 4:10 tells us, he's the savior of all men in the sense that he shows even his saving disposition to people who spit in his face. But who especially to believers in an eternal sense, the truth of God's saving nature is also taught in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 45:22, Isaiah says, "Thus says the Lord, turn to me and be saved." all the ends of the earth. God says to this universe, to this world, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. You know, that was the verse that Spurgeon was converted to. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was saved. He was a teenager. It was a a wintered morning. Uh, The snow had shut down many things, and he walked into this Methodist chapel and the deacon had been dispatched to fill the pulpit because the pastor couldn't get there and, and so he opened, this deacon opened up his Bible to Isaiah forty five twenty two and pointed at Spurgeon and just saying, said to him, you, young man, look, look, look to Christ. Reminds me kind of, a, of Jonah's sermon, 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. I mean, you wouldn't write that down in the annals of great preaching. He opened the book. He said, You young man, look to Christ and be saved. Spurgeon went on to say, I saw at once the way of salvation. Like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard the word look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. and that moment, I saw the sun of God's salvation. I say the same to you this morning. Look to Jesus Believe on him, God our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. His death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his being seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what God has done to redeem sinners like us. Calvin Miller once said, Golgotha, where Jesus died, the hill Golgotha, Calvary, Golgotha is not a Bavarian passion play where actors only mimic the final chapters of Matthew for so much perceit. It was God caught up in the violence of life and death, extending the new covenant in Christ. So notice the closing here be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Glory, God's powerful radiance his greatness, his complete moral superiority to anything you want to compare him to, his splendor. The Hebrew word is weight. The, the weight of God, the glory of God speaks of the weight of God. He's heavy. All the attributes of God in their radiance is his glory, his majesty. He's a king, you know. This is the reign of the Father, an absolute reign, God's transcendent greatness, His power, God's self-contained might, his active control over the world. There's nothing that can trump his power, his authority, God's sovereignty over all physical and moral laws in the universe. I'm reading through the Gospels right right now and just one of those moments of great freshness with the Bible to read the accounts on the the miracles of Jesus. How he fed the 5,000 with five fish Five loaves and two fish. And there were leftovers. There were leftovers. And the text says everyone was satisfied. He has authority over all things. These qualities reside in God alone and Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me just ask do you know this great God? When you think of God, do you think these kinds of thoughts? And how often it's, it's rooted to the fact of his eternal nature. He's always been that way. It says here, before all time and now and forever, amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The issue is, do you know him? Do you know this God? You were created to know him and to fellowship with him and enjoy him forever. But sin has come. And that's what keeps any of us from knowing him. And that's why the message of Christ is so beautiful. Reconciliation and redemption come to us as the text says, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you come to him by faith this morning? Would you trust him as your only savior and Lord? Would you live for him all the days of your life? If you're a believer, would you be comforted by this? That the God who saved you will keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his throne. Let's bow together in prayer as our praise team comes in these closing moments of our service. They're given over to respond to the word of God and to respond in obedience. And so, Lord, we want to be faithful for the word of God to have its way in our life, for you to work in us and through us to produce the obedience of faith and I pray that you would be moving in every heart and as we close out this service that we would do so looking to you, trusting you, thinking through the issues of life and the wonder of giving another opportunity to honor you. So lead in these closing moments on this Lord's Day worship. We submit ourselves to you in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. If there are needs on your heart, you